Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Hanford podcast. Our primary mission at FBH is to love God, love people, and serve the world. We hope that this weekly podcast will encourage you in your daily walk with Christ as we play for you our most recent sermon audio. Let's have a listen. Again, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH. We're excited you're with us, especially you guests who are in the room. We're, uh, we're happy that you're here. Uh, and I hope that regardless of uh, whether or not you've been here forever or you this is your first time, I hope today my goal is always, one, that we, uh, we can teach truth uh, through the Word of God, that we, as we walk through that, we can, we can express some truth and grab truth from that, but also that you can grab something from my message and be able to take that something and apply it to your, uh, your everyday life. And um, it's the book of John that we're walking through. This is our fourth week now in the book of John, and we're almost made it through chapter one, everybody. Man, so close. We did it. Uh, uh, it is so, it is, and as I've said before, it is a dense book. It is a thick book. My original intention was for us to be uh, done with this series in time for Advent. And as I started walking through it and pulling out practical application and pulling out doctrine and theology and all this stuff, I was like, yeah, we're not getting done by Advent season. So uh, if you're bored by the book of John, sorry, uh, <laughs> we're going to be in it for a, uh, a little while. But in this series specifically, uh, and in this book, John is largely just talking about who Jesus is. Because as we read through the gospel of John, we can recognize that, man, John throws out a ton of just massive claims about who Jesus is. And we've talked about it a lot over the, the course of the last couple of weeks, especially if you were to go back. Uh, we have our podcast up on iTunes. And so if you were to go back and listen to week two, actually, where we, we talk about the prologue in the gospel of John, John 1, verses 1 through 18, there are some massive implications for, uh, for, for how we respond to Jesus simply because of who Jesus is. Is And so it's incredibly dense. And today, we're actually going to get through the end of chapter 1. We're starting in verse 35, so you can flip to it real quick uh, as, uh, as I'm continuing to talk here. So it's John 1, 35 to, uh, to 51. So as you're doing that, though, I want to tell you about who I was. About who I was. Because a lot of people assume that pastors... Because we're on stage and we preach and we talk about God a lot. And when you come into our offices, we always say, well, have you read this scripture? Or how can I pray for you today? Or whatever it may be, that uh, there's a lot of assumptions about who pastors are. They tend to get put on a pedestal, right? Pastors do in general. And uh, the problem with being on a pedestal is that when you get knocked off, there's a whole lot further to fall than most, and so uh, you can probably call back to maybe a lot of uh, celebrity pastors, a lot of people who um, have been wrought with scandal simply because of the fact that people see them as this figure that's larger than life. And then they try to assume this role that is larger than life and better than an actual person and hyper spiritual and all these different things. And then because of that, they begin to believe their own press and once they start believing their own press, pretty soon they are completely and totally distant from God. 
Now, I'm not talking this morning about the fact that I am completely and totally distant from God. What I'm talking about is that before I came to Christ, before I decided to dedicate my life completely to Christ, uh, I was a messed up person. I'm still a messed up person. You want to talk about sinners? Man, I'm chief. Give me, I'm number one. And I think all of us in this room who recognize who God is and who we are would probably assume the same thing about themselves. And so who I was, was somebody who uh, was incredibly prideful, someone incredibly uh, greedy, prone to please people rather than being concerned about pleasing God. I struggled with pornography. I struggled with lust. Struggled with a whole bunch of things. And that's not to say that those things have gone away. That's not to say that, that I no longer struggle with sin anymore because, oh, I'm a pastor and my job is to read the Bible. That's obviously not true. I still struggle. I'm still a human being. I'm still doing my best to be able to, uh, to pursue God. And it's a subtle reminder to all of us that myself, as well as any other pastor, maybe that you listen to, that you podcast, celebrity pastors, all of those people, all of those are people doing their best simply to emulate who Jesus is. That's all they're trying to do. They are people. And like most of you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a, uh, in a place that taught me morality, taught me how to be respectful, taught me how to hold doors for ladies, taught me to go the extra mile to serve other people, taught me how to sit in meetings with my parents that I had to be at because I didn't have a babysitter. <laughs> And taught me how to sit there and be quiet, right? And be respectful of older people. That's, those are my roots. That's where I came from. And beyond that, I grew up in the church. And so I knew how to do church. I knew that I got dropped off at Sunday school. Man, if I, if I read a certain number of verses that week, I was going to get to pull something out of the treasure chest. It was going to be a good day. Not because of God's word, but because, man, I got like a 10 cent thing out of the treasure chest, that's a good, like I grew up in that. And then after that, you know, uh, we would go to Sunday school and then we would go to church, our church service, big church, right? Anybody grow up going to big church? Go to big church, sit next to mom and dad and wait and, and, and until it was done. That's really all I was trying to do was, man, get through it <laughs> because I was young. But I was sitting there and learning how to do church and learning how to worship God and honor God and sit still and do all those things that were learn how to do. See, I grew up in that whole area. I grew up and my parents placed those convictions on me and said, hey, this is the things that you should care about. And I'm thankful for those things. They taught me how to love people. They taught me how to get good grades. They taught me how to be a stand-up member of society. Make sure you contribute, right? Any parents in here like, yep, amen. I'm glad you had those parents right? If we can all grow up one day to have the good grades and contribute to society, let's go. We did our job. Make sure you're kind to people and hold that door as well. And that's the area that I grew up in. See, I understood who I was supposed to be in the eyes of my parents. I understood who I was supposed to be in the eyes of my teachers. I understood who I was supposed to be in the eyes of the world to strangers. Man, I'm, I'm meeting with my dad and his boss I'm just in the room with them. And man, I better be quiet because that's my dad's boss, right? Like I learned about all, I knew who I was supposed to be. And as I've talked about before, 
Regardless of who I was supposed to be, who I was pretending to be, who I was, I also struggled with all of this stuff over here. I knew the game that I was supposed to play. And I played the game well until Jesus got a hold of my life. He got control of my heart. And since then, I haven't been perfect. But because of how much God loves me, I want to become more like Jesus every single day. And that's what we're pushing towards. My assumption is here, here is that there are a lot of us who know that story that I just told very well, because it might be your story. At some point, you had to take responsibility for your faith in Christ. Whether it was when you came to faith as an adult and it's always been yours, you came to faith as a kid and eventually you're like, all right, yes, something I should be doing on a regular basis. Mom and dad aren't going to drag me there anymore. I'm in college now. I can either sleep through the 11 a.m. service, because college, or I can get out of bed and head over there and make sure that I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do to be able to pursue God. Those of us who grew up in a Christian home and went to church because it was the right thing to do, maybe for, for you a lot like me in our solitude, we were choosing things or maybe are still currently choosing things that aren't honoring to God. Maybe in our work lives, we're working to build ourselves up rather than pointing people to God. Maybe fear of man is getting the best of you rather than working as unto the Lord. And not heeding the book of Proverbs that tells us the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Maybe there are others in here who don't know how to play the game at all. And you pride yourself on not playing the game, actually. Anybody in a room like that? Hey, what you see is what you get. Sorry, if I offend you, that's your problem, not mine. Right? We all know some of those people. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. And you're like, hey, you know what? God created, this way, created me this way. Deal with it. Like that's, that's between you and God, not me. That's not my deal. That's one of my favorite things when uh, I was having a conversation with a lady one time. And she was uh, just talking about how bad she was at singing you know, during worship. Right? But she would just belt it out, belt it out. I mean, couldn't carry a key to save her life. Um, and, uh, ended up saying, you know what? Well, I mean, God gave me this voice, so he has to deal with it. <laughs> like, that's fair. That's good. That's, that's good. That's good. But wherever you are on that spectrum, I want you to know that regardless of your sin, regardless of the thing that you're dealing with, regardless of the face you do or don't put on to impress others or to impress yourself or to impress God, he has called you to something greater than you can ever imagine. And this is largely what we're going to be honing in on this morning in the Gospel of John. Because last week we talked about the idea that God has set each of us apart with intention. We looked at the life of John the Baptist and said, hey, John the Baptist, even before birth, hundreds of years before he was born, God had set him apart with intention through the prophet Isaiah and then he came, he was born, and God had set him apart with intention in the same way that we are all set apart with intention. God set us apart with a job to do. And beyond even the job that he set us apart to do, uh, he's even supernaturally equipped each of us with gifts in order to accomplish that job. 
This week, we're going to take that one step further. So go ahead and look at, uh, at verse 35 with me. It says this, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist talking now, not the author, John. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So when, when you see transitional words in scripture, this is like a little FYI, jot this down in case you feel like this is important. Uh, when you see transitional words in scripture, like we see at the beginning of this passage where it says the next day, make sure you go back and understand what happened the previous day. Okay, so this says the next day. It's immediately before this verse, John the Baptist has, his, has revealed uh, to the Pharisees that he was not Jesus that he was not the Messiah, that he was not, not, not a prophet or anything like that. He just says, look, I am, I am the one calling out in the wilderness, making the path straight for the Lord. He tells them that very clearly right uh, before this. 24 hours later though, 24 hours after that, this goes down with two of his disciples. Most theologians hold the idea that the two disciples are John because he's the one he re- who uh, who recorded this. And the other is the, the disciple Andrew. Never named. There's some speculation around that. So if you disagree with me, that's okay. Uh, most people do agree with me, but you can be a contrarian if you like. So most people believe this is John and Andrew here. And as we concluded last week by saying that John points to the Lamb of God and these two disciples just leave him. This is the last we hear from John for a while. This, these guys were John's disciples. John was their teacher. They were following him regularly, doing their best to glean wisdom from him. And then he says, behold, the Lamb of God, go follow him. And they're like, all right, I'm out. See you, John. There's, there's someone better over here because you pointed me to him. They just left. They listened to John and they they left. And it gets my brain spinning a little bit, thinking to myself, why is it then that these two guys leave an incredible teacher like John the Baptist? I mean, these guys most likely were fishermen. And so you think to yourself, okay, fishermen can't be the most sought after job, right? It's late nights. You smell like fish all the time. That's all I got. It can't be the most sought after job, right? It just can't be. And so these guys who are probably uneducated are like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to follow John the Baptist. He's a smart guy. I'm going to follow him because I'm dedicated to my Jewish faith. And so they're following John. They're following John. He's like, look, go that way. And they're like, all right, we're going to go that way. We're going to listen to this, this new guy, Jesus, the Lamb of God that you have told us about. And it just makes me think, why is it that they would leave the comfort of knowing what they know, the comfort of familiarity for someone else, for something else. Because on this side of the story, we get it, right? We're like, it's Jesus, of course. Like if I was following somebody else and he was like, hey, that's Jesus. Yeah, of course I'm gonna go because it's Jesus. Just makes a whole lot of sense. You'd be dumb if you didn't. But they don't know that yet. They don't know that, who Jesus is and what he was going to do. 
So the best answer I can come up with is that they simply trusted him. They simply trusted John. They respected him. And because of that, we can conclude that someone the disciples respected pointed them to Jesus. Someone the disciples respected pointed them to Jesus. I want you to think real quick. I want you to think of someone in your life that you respect. Not like, respect. Because as most of us know in here, those can be two very different things. Okay, so turn to the person sitting next to you just real quick, 10 seconds. Say the name of the person you respect. Ready, set, go. Did you say Pastor Peter? Awesome. It's because we share a name, that's why. It was Peter Pollock who said that. But there wasn't enough people. Share it. Tell the person next to you real quick. Who do you respect? Someone in your life. Think back. Anybody that you respect. Someone, someone we respect, though, is different than someone we like. See, someone, someone you respect, you care if they correct you. It burdens you if they correct you. If they come alongside you and say, hey, look, I'm going to speak some truth into your life right now. You're not going to like it, but I'm going to do it. And it stings. It's almost like when your parents would say, you know what, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed, right? So much worse, so much worse. Like, can you just come in and scream at me? Because then there's like, I can just be angry too. And there's not like that respect factor going on. But when like your parents come in and they calmly sit down, they're like, look, you're like, oh man, come on, come on. There's a guy in my life named, uh, named Kurt Thielen, okay? And uh, if I'm Luke, he's Yoda, Okay, to give you some context. Now, it's vastly overstating who I am and massively understating who he is, okay? Um, so he is a person who has uh, been in my life for the past almost seven years now. Incredible man of God, well-studied. He's a theologian. You sit in his office and you feel, you feel the weight of him, not because he's a large man, but because he spent so much time in the presence of the Lord. You sit there and you think to yourself, man, I could just have conversations with you forever because of the fact that you have had conversations with the Lord on an ongoing basis. And the interesting thing about Kurt is, is Kurt never seems to care if I like him or not, which is really frustrating to someone who deals with people pleasing, right? Because I'm, I'm just like looking for validation, like Kurt, how'd I do? He's like, well, you did fine, but let me tell you how you can get better. I'm like, come on, man, give me my gold star first at least, and then we can move forward. But he never seems to care if I, uh, if I like him or not. And not that he's a jerk or anything like that, but I know that when he gives me advice, I know that when he gives me feedback, he isn't gonna say something simply to make me feel good about myself. He tells me what it is I need to do to more closely follow Jesus on a regular basis. See, I have my master's degree in theology, right? And I, uh, because of when I took the classes, we did it online, did it online and did all the papers and learned all the things and all of that stuff. But largely through that degree program, that program that I took, I learned a little bit of stuff here and there. But it was sitting in Kurt's office for between two and four hours a week and allowing him to just teach me about who Jesus is that I earned that degree. Because he was, I respected him enough to be able 
to do that. But beyond just how, how much he loved Jesus, I looked at Kurt as a dad and the way that his four kids turned out, his grown kids now, all of whom who are walking in step with the Lord, every single one of them. You talk to them about scripture, you better be prepared because they know more about the Bible than most pastors do, probably more than I do. And I think about why is that? It's because he raised his kids in such a way to value God and to value people and to value God's word and to study it and to live according to it. And so I look at that and then I look at uh, his relationship uh, with his wife, one that he is a complete and total servant to her. That as they've been married for however long they've been married now, every single step of the way he is leading well. He is leading in a humble way. He's not only protecting her, but he's allowing her to lead in the capacity that she can lead. And then when she leads, he can pick up the slack in whatever other areas need to be picked up. And so when I think about somebody that I respect, I think about Kurt. And I think about him as a dad. I think about him as a father. I think about him as a pastor. I think about him as a follower of Christ. I think about him as a coach. I think about him as a, a dad who stays up late doing science projects with his kids that are due the next day. Like I think about all of those things because of the fact that I respect him. And it's because of that breadth of work in his life that I do respect him. And so when Kurt tells me to do something or Kurt says, hey, consider this, I'm going to listen to him because there is a weight behind that. In the same way that I believe as John the Baptist was talking to John and Andrew about who the Lamb of God was, they trusted him, they respected him. And because of the fact they respected him, when he said, go, they went. They went. This isn't the last story that, that this happens in, though. If we keep reading in verse 40, it says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said, who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I have a soft spot for Peter in my heart. because he was a dummy, not because we share a name. But if you're paying attention in your notes, this should be an easy fill-in for you, where we can say someone Peter respected pointed him to Jesus. Someone Peter respected pointed him to Jesus. Let's talk about dads real quick. Dads in the room, this is an easy hand raise, okay? Uh, yeah, there's more than that many dads in the room. Yeah, you're like, nope, I'm tired. I get it, that's fine. Go grab a cup of coffee, come on back. Okay, my dad, what I described to you when my dad said, or, or when dad say, hey, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed, that was the epitome of my dad. The epitome, I never once heard my dad raise his voice to anybody. And he would walk into a room and he would command the room just by his presence, not because he came in and he was loud and he was boisterous, actually the opposite. He would come in and he would find a spot to sit 
And he would just sit and people would come and sit next to him and talk with him and that sort of thing. And it was crazy. At our family get-togethers, you would just sit and you would watch where my dad was and hit the seat next to him was like a revolving door. People would come and sit next to him, want to listen to him, want to talk with him, want to joke with him. And so I remember uh, specifically one time, and I may have shared this story, I'm not sure, um, in the past, it's still a funny story. I remember one time I was uh, in sixth grade. Now, sixth grade, um, I can't confirm this scientifically, but you're dumb. And when I, sixth graders, if you're in the room, oh, one, sorry, Caleb. But in sixth grade, man, uh, we, that was the first summer. My brother was in seventh grade. I was in sixth grade. Mom and dad were both working. And I remember mom and dad were out of the house during the day. And we didn't have anybody watching us, which was awesome, right? Especially for us, we grew up kind of out in the country. So we had some yard to play in. There was a pickup basketball games every day. Within our block, we had nine kids, nine boys specifically within two years of each other. It was crazy. You had to walk outside and sneeze and you would hit somebody else, right? There were so many of us who were just excited to hang out together. And so one day, me and my neighbor, Jason, we were doing what kids do. And um, we, we actually had this big hole that we dug. It's about four feet deep, right? And we were so excited, man, no one was ever going to be able to find us in this hole. It's like, it's just a hole. Um, don't worry, we put plywood over the top and then tumbleweeds over the top of that. So well disguised, no one could have ever found us except our older brothers, who our older brothers had actually gotten a hold of a BB gun. Right. And so our older brothers thought it would be hilarious to shoot us with said BB gun. When we crawled out of our hiding spot, we stayed in that hiding spot for a real long time as soon as one of us got hit. So long, in fact, that our brothers ended up leaving the BB gun on the ground. We're like, we're bored. We have no one to shoot anymore. We're going to go inside. So they went inside. Jason, my neighbor, and I were like, hey, it's going to be phenomenal. Let's grab the BB gun. Let's have a whole lot of fun because we were the younger brothers. We never got to play with anything fun, right? Our older brothers took them all. And so we did the responsible thing. We grabbed the BB gun. We jumped on the trampoline, started spinning in circles, shooting BB gun in the air as we're jumping. It was a blast. <laughs> We didn't hit each other. Thankfully, I don't know how that happened. But then we, eventually we got bored of doing that. And then we saw one of our older brothers. He was standing behind a sliding glass door. I didn't know what I was doing with a gun. And in hindsight, maybe I pumped the gun one too many times. I don't know. But what I do know is that I shot at him. And the entire sliding glass door completely and totally shattered. Yeah, yeah. This was about one o'clock in the afternoon. Mom was getting home at four. Dad was getting home at 5.30. I didn't have a cell phone and I definitely wasn't gonna use a landline to call him. So Jason and I got together and said our goodbyes. Um, <laughs> wept together. And uh, my mom got home. I didn't say a word. I wasn't gonna offer up this information. Dad got home. We sat down. We had burritos that night. I remember because I stared at my burrito the entire dinner. And uh, as we sat there and my dad said, how was your day? Okay, this is the time. <laughs> I can't say good. Uh, so I told him what happened. I told a lie, of course, because you never say you're shooting at somebody behind a sliding glass door. It's just dumb. Um, he's like, I was shooting at the roof, dad. I'm like, you missed the roof. Um, so I told him, 
<laughs> dinner stopped. They both got up. They walked over next door, had a long conversation. I was terrified. I was in my room. Um, and then my dad came in, not my mom. My dad came in. And this is how you know it's a big deal, right? My dad came in. I'm in my bed waiting for the worst to happen. And he sat down and he was way too calm. Sat down and said, hey man, what were you thinking? I was like, that's a real hard question to answer dad <laughs> at, this, at this point in time. And he said, look, I'm not angry. He said, but that window's gonna cost us about $250. We're gonna pay half, they're gonna pay half. And you're gonna, you're gonna work off every single penny of that window. And beyond that, you're gonna go next door and you're gonna go apologize to Mr. and Mrs. Faust. And like the working thing is like, fine, but I have to go fess up to it. I have to go talk to people and apologize for this terrible thing that I already did. And I knew in my heart, I knew like, okay, dad, you're right. And it was terrible. And I recall that story so vividly. It's not the dumbest thing I've ever done. But it is one of the things that I did where the, the way that my dad handled that instance was one that I will always remember because my respect for him even then grew. It wasn't because he came in and, and uh, told me I had to work. It wasn't because uh, he came in and told me I needed to apologize. It's because he came in and he looked at me and he said, hey, look, you messed up and this is what you have to do to take care of it. He didn't care if I liked him. He simply cared that I did the right thing. And in the same way, we have Andrew here. He said, you know, what is the right thing for me to be able to do? What should I do in this instance as I do my best to introduce my brother to the savior of the world? See, Peter respected Andrew a whole lot. You can read it in the text, the excitement that Peter has where he gets up and he goes. He doesn't hesitate. He gets up and he goes because someone that he respected was pointing him to Jesus. Someone Peter respected told him about the Messiah. But of course, this isn't the last instance in this section of scripture. If we read a little further down in 43, it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? This is one of my favorite lines in scripture. Thanks, Nathaniel. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So this this piece right here is actually my favorite because we have a skeptic in Nathaniel. And because of the fact that his friend, someone he respected, told him about Jesus, he left his spot under the fig tree to go and see who this guy was. So to stay with our theme, someone Nathaniel respected pointed him to Jesus. 
All of these people began to follow Jesus because people whom they respected said, hey, look, you need to go follow this guy. You need to go see what this guy is about. And because of the fact that they respected him, they went. Some of these things were familial connections. Some of them were prophetic, like John the Baptist. Some were close friends, but regardless of who they were to one another, the common theme that bound them together was the fact that all of them respected those people. Now, we could end here. And actually about two months ago, we did end here. For those of you who are in here thinking, man, I feel like we just taught through this text. Yeah, two months ago we did when we were walking through our Oikos series. But if you scratch a little bit harder, you can see something else underneath. Regardless that, we could end here and I could challenge you to make sure your takeaway today could be make sure you are respected wherever you go. Make sure you live your lives in such a way that people are going to respect you in your home, in your workplace, in your small group, wherever it is. Be all things to all people, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. Starts in 19, he says, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in the blessings. He says, look, I don't care who they are. I don't care about their background. I don't care about where they've been. I'm going to be that to them so they can share in the blessing of Christ with me. And we could end there and we could leave. We could say, hey, look, go be respected. Go be all things to all people. And that would be a completely and totally okay spot to end. But I think if we dig under the surface of this passage, we can recognize that these encounters with all of these people is not the end of the story. This is simply the beginning of their stories. And we as Christians, man, we love, we love stories of people coming to faith in Christ. And that's a good thing. Hear me, that is a good thing. We love stories of that. I read a story just the other day uh, of, a, of a teenager who was struggling with anxiety and crippling depression. And that teenager had already decided he was gonna end his life. This is gonna be it. I, I have, there's no reason for me to live anymore. He had the spot picked out. He had the means picked out. He had all of those things figured out. And he was sitting in his car and a girl from his high school walked up and knocked on the, on, on the window. And the girl ended up inviting him to an event that night. The event that night had an altar call at the end. He came up, he was saved. And all of us in the church are like, awesome story. Great story. And it is a great story. That in itself is miraculous. That's an incredible story. However, we love looking at the turning point in those stories just like in these last 16 verses of John 1, we're looking at the turning point in these people's lives. And we think to ourselves, man, God is good. And it's true. God is good. However, that's not the end of the story. 
You see, if we look back at all of these stories, in each one of them, Jesus saw them following him and then called them to more. That should be your next fill in the blank. Jesus saw them following and called them to more. If you go back to the first story of John and and Andrew following Jesus, they ask him where he is staying and he simply says, come and you'll see. Come and you'll see. I don't think think this had much to do with about his, his accommodations when he says, you'll see. I don't think they really cared about what bed he was sleeping in. Hey, show me your house. Do cribs. Some of you got that. That's not what this is about. I feel like this is about Jesus saying, hey, come follow me and you will see where I am going. You will see what it is that I am doing. In the second story, where Philip introduces Peter to Jesus, he literally, Jesus literally meets him and he renames him. He changes his name from Simon. This is their first encounter. He changes his name from Simon to Peter on the spot. He's like, hey, look, you're not known as Simon anymore. Your name is Peter. And by the way, that means rock. And I'm naming you that intentionally because your name represents who I need you to be, who you are going to become as you continue to follow me. He was calling something more out in him. It wasn't just, hey, follow me and their story was done. No, it was, hey, follow me, and as you follow me, I'm going to call you to more. I'm going to call you to more. In the last story, he tells Nathaniel that if he follows him, he will see even greater things than what I have just showed you. He says, hey, just follow me. Just follow me. The thing we often forget is that the moment that we are saved from our sin, the moment that we are saved from our depravity is the very beginning of our story. It is not the end of our story whatsoever. The moment I move from being okay with being a lewd, selfish, prideful person to following Jesus as closely as as I knew how, while it is indeed good news, it isn't the end of my story. It's the beginning of my story. That's who I was. The power of Christ isn't in who I was. The power of Christ is who I am now and who I'm continuing to become and the way that he's going to use me on a regular basis as I step in to those gifts and those talents that he has for me, as I step into that intention that he has for my life. That's my story. It's where I am going, not where I've been. What we oftentimes forget is that when we begin following Jesus with the the entirety of our being, it's not the end. It's just, it's just when it starts to get good. It's when Jesus tells us to follow him because compared to him showing himself to us and offering a, of grace for our past, the future, our future is so much better. It is so much better than we ever could have imagined. Regardless of where each of us are, in this spectrum of church to unchurch, to playing the game, to not playing the game, our story is not done. I don't care if you met Jesus yesterday or if you met him 50 years ago. Your story is not done. We see ourselves in the mirror. We see ourselves in the way that we really are. We're sinful. We're messed up. We're prideful. We're lustful. We're hate-filled. We're prejudiced. We're gossipers. You fill in your vice. You fill in your sin. 
any sane person looks at themselves and realize that we are average at best and pitiful at worst. But Jesus sees us and says, follow me. Follow me. And as we follow him, we recognize that God takes that which is average and makes it greater than we could ever imagine. Jesus took a bunch of fishermen, took a whole bunch of fishermen who had really nothing to offer the world except dinner. He said, hey, look, you guys come follow me. Yeah, you're average. Your work is respectable. You're good. You're fine. But hey, follow me and see what I'm going to do in you. See what's going to happen to your life as you follow me. And here's the beauty of that statement, that it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with a massive God loving us enough to make his creation beautiful again. Mankind was the zenith of God's creation. We were very good. And then we went and we sinned and we messed the whole thing up. But God says, look, I know you messed up. I know with that me at best you're average and at worst you're pitiful. And I want to do incredible things both in you and through you. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has nothing to do with who you were. It has everything to do with who I am and what my son did on your behalf. That's what it has to do with. See, if we look at where they ended up, these three guys in particular, John, Nathaniel, Peter, all these different guys. John, he's the obviously wrote the gospel of John, the only apostle who didn't get killed for his faith, wrote the book of Revelation. He's exiled to the island of Patmos. Early tradition has him escaping unhurt after being cast into a boiling pot in Rome. I don't know if that's something I would want to escape, but John did. My guess is, is John would never have imagined that people 2,000 years later were going to be reading what it is that Jesus did in and through him. Nathaniel, a lot of people believe that Nathaniel became a missionary, specifically to India. Nathaniel, again, was also killed, martyred for his faith. He died there in India. My guess is if you asked Nathaniel back when he was under the fig tree and Jesus saw him in the first place, he never would have assumed that that's how his life was going to turn out. Not that he was upset that he died or anything like that, but that God was going to use him in such a massive way. And you want to talk about a guy in Peter, lowly fisherman, had very little to offer, even as you read, uh, some of his writings and the end of the New Testament. He's not an intelligent writer. You read his words and they're much more choppy. They're much more uh, blue collar, if you will, if you compare them to Paul and Paul's writings. But Peter's a fisherman through and through. 
nothing to offer anybody except dinner. And Jesus saw him. He said, follow me. By the way, your name's not Simon anymore. You're no longer a fisherman. Your name's Peter, and you're the rock in which I'm going to build my church. You kidding me right now? From a fisherman, and God says, hey, I'm going to use you in ways that you could never even imagine. Church, it's our narrative. Not just the Bible, it's, it's every single one of our story as well. That as we look at our lives, and we're average at best and pitiful at worst, we recognize, hey God, you can do incredible things through me. We have to be willing to step into that though. We have to be willing to say, God, use me. My gifts, my talents, the intention that you have for my life, use me, use me, use me. And it's not a one-day thing. It is an every single day choice to allow God to use us, to allow God to take something which is average and create something that is greater than we could ever imagine. As we do every week, we're going to close in prayer. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and and close your eyes. And I just, I, I feel like um, that today, especially, and I don't know, I'm, I'm not a hyper-spiritual person. I'm a very practical, pragmatic person. Um, but I just, I feel like the presence of the Lord is working in here. The spirit of the Lord is working. And so, and it, we, we end every service with the ABCs. We say, I admit, I believe, and I choose to follow Jesus. And so if there are those in here today who have not said yes to Jesus and said, you know what, Peter, I am average at best, but I'm pitiful at worst. And I just, I want that. I want God to make me something better than I could have ever imagined because I've tried doing it on my own and it doesn't work. I messed up. I continue to mess up. And I can't do it anymore. I can't do it by myself anymore. If that's you, I would just encourage you to pray with me. But I think there's others in this room as well. Those in this room who are still trying to do it on their own and still just saying, you know what? No, I'm gonna hold on tighter to average. I'm gonna white knuckle average because at least in average, I have control that I can hold on to it. And so if that's you, I pray that, that uh, I would ask that you would pray along with us as well. And just say, God, I'm, I'm committing my life to you. I admit, believe, and choose that. So let's pray. Father, I am impressed by what you do every single day. I'm impressed by what you do in the church. I'm impressed that you gave your church the massive responsibility of carrying out your kingdom here on earth. And Father, we recognize that we have gifts and talents to be able to contribute. God, we recognize that you call us to something greater than we could have ever imagined. You take us from average to greater than average. Something we never would have expected for our lives. And so if those, are there, those in here who have not yet said yes to Jesus, I just pray along with me and say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I mess up. But God, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross on my behalf. 
And not only do I believe that, Father, but I'm also going to choose to follow you every single day of my life. And for those of you in here who have prayed that prayer before, who have said yes to Jesus, who are doing your best to follow him, but you, but, but you are just still white-knuckling average, just pray that you'd pray along with me and say, God, I, I, I am sorry for trying to do it on my own again. I do it all the time. I would rather be in control of average than give you complete control of something greater than I could ever imagine. And so God, I pray that you would release my grip on average and that you would use me in ways that I never would have imagined. And God, that scares me and it worries me, but God, I trust you because I know that you're good. I know that you are for me and I know that you will move me to a space that's something greater than I ever could have imagined. And we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this week's sermon. Music was by the band Broke for Free. And if you would like more information about our church, feel free to check out fbhanford.org. That's fbhanford.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.